0: Hi, thanks for joining this week's podcast with Pastor James Jones of the Divergent Church. We hope you will be blessed by the message you are about to hear. If you would like some more information about the church, please feel free to reach out via email at divergentcog at AOL.com or go over and check out our website, divergentcog.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you have a blessed day. Now we've been talking for a little while on this thought, on this topic, for several weeks Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to start this morning. Philippians chapter 1. And just a quick recap as you're turning to Philippians chapter 1. So far in this series, we've established that in order to be able to discern what truth is, there needs to be a standard for truth. And we've discerned that the Word of God is that standard for truth. The second thing we wanted to do was to understand could the Word of God be trusted? Could it stand up even to the most rigorous of tests? And a few weeks ago, we did that. We were able to accomplish that. And we can tell beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Word of God is the Word of God. Last week, we talked about our origins. And we spent a lot of time sharing a lot of information. But pointing out that all things do point to intelligent design. But there was something we touched on last week through three different scientists who hold firmly to their belief in evolution, that the mantra that they maintain is, even if all things point to intelligent design, we're not allowed to accept such a conclusion. Well, that kind of goes along with the topic we've been talking about, being free to think. If you're not allowed to accept the conclusion, why not? What's stopping you? What's hindering you from being able to do that? And so that's what we're going to look into and continue to look into. And this week, starting in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read verse 1 through 11. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And now verse 9, and this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning, touch our hearts with your word. Speak to us as only you can, Lord God. Lord, we live in a day of mass confusion. And we know the author of confusion is the enemy of our soul. Lord, much like Paul prayed for the early believers, let us have wisdom. Let us have discernment in this day and age. So that we can discern the time, so that we can see what is truly going on. And not get caught up in the schemes of Satan. Speak to our hearts this morning, we pray. Teach us by your word, by your Holy Spirit. And we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a society where we're being told we're in a culture war right now. We're in a war of cultures, a war of ideologies, a war of beliefs, if you will. But in a culture war, here's the interesting thing. Both sides feel as though the other side is trying to take away their freedom. In a culture war, each side is convinced that the other side is trying to steal away their freedom. Both sides feel that they are under attack, and so they go on the offensive. But we have a need to discern what is really happening in this day and age. I submit to you, we are not in a culture war right now. What we see played out in front of us day by day is literally the scheme of Satan, the adversary of our soul. Here's a solid technique. If you can get your enemy to fight each other, you are victorious. Because they don't care about fighting you. Is that not what we see in the world around us? Nobody is essentially standing up for good or evil. by standing up for their side, it seems like. Making believe that this is a culture war which we have been fed by the enemy so that we'll be so busy fighting each other we don't chase after God or chase after truth. We are more interested in chasing after opinion in this day and age. And who do you think would do that to our world today? Now, some people will say it's the government pitting us against each other. It's people pitting us against each other. No, it's the enemy of our soul pitting us against each other. But what then is the end game? You see, we need discernment so we can see the schemes of the enemy. Proverbs 14 and 6 says, knowledge comes easy to the discerning. Proverbs 15 and 14, the discerning heart seeks knowledge. Proverbs 17, 24, a discerning man keeps wisdom in view. Church, we need discernment. We need discernment to see what is going on, because as we looked at last week and the weeks before, if truth only comes from the word of God, and the word of God is only discerned spiritually, not naturally or academically or intellectually, then we need a spiritual discernment in our day and age. It brings us back to the very first text we looked at, when Jesus was standing there and speaking to the people of his day, and they would not receive what he was saying. And he says, you cannot receive the truth because you are of your father, the devil. They were so convinced by the lies of the society of the world around them that was directly from Satan that they couldn't receive the truth even when it was right in front of them. So, if Satan truly is behind this, and I submit to you he is, what's the end game? Why? Two big reasons. One, get the people of God so distracted that they don't know what to do. And two, get the individual so confused, saved or unsaved, so confused and so angry and so fearful that they can't act in logic. They're acting in emotion. They're reacting to anger. They're reacting to fear. They're reacting to rage. And they can't operate in logic. They're not free to think because they've been bound up in emotions that are not from God. Good word, Pastor. They aren't free. I can't agree with my enemy is the thing that stands you Take If you're in a culture war, if you're truly in a culture war, and you're fighting over two different opinions, and you've got this side and this side fighting back and forth, then this side agrees that this is our enemy, and this side agrees this is our enemy. But meanwhile, the real enemy stands on the sidelines laughing as he watches people fight against one another, argue against one another over opinions and not actual truth. So then, when you get to the Word of God and you have some form of truth and you have a a standard that you can hold up, why will people not receive it? Because I can't agree with my enemy. I can't agree with my enemy. They're trying to take away my rights, they're trying to take away my liberty, they're trying to take away what I want. No, that's not what's happening at all. And unfortunately, even in the church, we've become so twisted. That we don't believe God can settle this. I had an example this morning. I was talking to someone this morning about a person we both know. And they weren't even sure that God could bring the church back together by the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't even sure that could happen in our age. And the reason is because we get into a culture war, and there are people who are so entrenched in the the temporal things. It's an Esau generation is what it is. They're willing to sell their birthright for a bowl of soup. They're willing to sell something eternal for something temporary. Esau literally was the firstborn, and he had the birthright, and he could have been the line of blessing, but he got to this place where he was hungry, and he was willing to sell his birthright to his brother for a bowl of soup. And his brother capitalized on it. And in this day and age, we are willing to turn our back on the eternity for something that's temporal. Because I can't agree with my enemy. I'm in a culture war. I'm locked at odds with my enemy, so I can't agree with them. And if my enemy is saying the word of God is truth, then I must say it's false. Even though every bit of evidence points to it. We've looked at the word of God. we looked at the history of archaeology. we looked at every bit of fact. Nothing in history can be proven as true and validated as the word of God. Just with historical fact, not opinion, not morals, not hopes, but historical fact. Nothing is as well backed up, as well documented. And then you get to the prophecies that are contained within that have all come to pass exactly like the Word of God says. The Word of God is the truth. Why can't I receive the truth? Because I cannot agree with my enemy. You see, when we get so lost, when we get so blinded by Satan, we feel like anything that is not what we're being told inside of us is false. Remember last week, even if everything pointed to intelligent design, we cannot accept such a conclusion. Why? Because that's what the enemy says. The enemy's all about that Bible. The enemy's all about God. Because Satan has convinced them of this. Remember, we, we, we quoted Francis Crick last week, the co-founder of the double helix of DNA. And he said, we have to keep telling ourselves This was not designed, it was evolved. Because everything logically is telling them, this is a design, it can't be evolved. It's not possible. It's not possible that DNA could accidentally happen. It's just not possible. But they have to keep telling themselves that it is. Otherwise, they have to consider God. We're not in a culture war. So... You get people full of fear. You get people full of anger. You get people into survival mode where they're ready to attack one another. And then you divert the attention. You blame someone else. Well, it's got to be the government. They just don't want us to get together. They're afraid of the power of unity. Well, it's got to be someone else. It's got to be something natural, some person, some entity. It must be Hollywood. It must be media. It must be the television. You know what? All those things are vessels, but they're not the source. They're not. Our enemy is not Hollywood, church. There are people in Hollywood who are enslaved by the enemy, who are enslaved by Satan, who are living out a lie, and they feel they're free. And here's the thing about it. When the end of this life comes, will they really be free? Holding on to the temporary and negating the eternal because of the same lies of Satan, that we will be as powerful as God, that we'll have the final say. It's the evil force of influence. Do not be influenced. Do not be deceived by Satan. This is not a cultural war. Last week we said arguing with somebody accomplishes nothing, almost nothing. What it does accomplish fulfills the desire of the enemy. It creates anger. It creates tension. It creates resentment. It creates closed doors to the gospel. When you want to argue, see. The whole thing about Christianity is not I'm right and someone else is wrong. It's I was wrong and I found truth and I want you to see it too. I'm not right. I was wrong. I'm still wrong. I keep messing up. I keep sinning, but I have found the one who forgives me. I have found the one who's created the earth. I have found the truth in the word of God. And I just want to share it because it's truth and it speaks for itself. Right. But to distract and to confuse If we engage in physical confrontation, verbal, emotional, hand-to-hand, Satan wins. If we engage in spiritual confrontation, if we engage on a spiritual level, then God wins, and so does everyone else involved. So we're not in a culture war. We're in a spiritual war. We're not in a culture battle. We're not battling over opinions. This is not my opinion. This is a matter of fact. This isn't something where I say, boy, I really hope this Bible is right, and I really hope it says a couple weeks ago. I mean, not my words. We just looked at history. We just looked at archaeology. We just looked at facts that you cannot deny that are in front of you. That's the word of God, period. Okay, so if that's true, then what does it mean to me? If that book is really real, if the God of the universe really created the universe, and this is really his word, what does it mean to me? We're not in a cultural war spiritual war. But if the enemy can convince everybody that it's a cultural war over opinions, then he wins. Do not be deceived, but get discernment. Church, if we don't discern the times we're in, if we don't look at what the enemy's doing, we're going to miss it. We're going to get blindsided. We have to be ever watchful and ever in prayer. So how did we get here as a society? How did we get to this place? Very subtly, and over the course of generations. First off, it all started back in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world. Sin brought, among other things, it brought three things. It brought death. It brought a separation from God. And it brought negative emotions. You may say, wait, how's that possible? How did sin do that? Sin brought negative emotions? Yes. Yes. Because until they had sinned, they fellowshiped with God, they enjoyed creation, they walked in the evening with the Lord, but once they sinned, notice what happens. God called for them, and what did he say? We were afraid. They experienced that before. We were ashamed. That didn't happen until sin came in. They were afraid. They were ashamed. Oh, but wait, then something else happened. They became selfish. What do you mean they became selfish? Well, first thing, God did was Adam. Did you eat from the tree? She told me to. Selfish. He should have said, yeah, I did. No. His first thing was blame shifting. She told me to do it. The woman you gave me. That's how he worded it. He tried to put it on God. The woman you gave me. She told me to. He looks at Eve, is this true? <clears throat> the serpent told me. All of these emotions entered the world with sin. He blamed her, she blamed the serpent, and so on it goes. This is what <laughs> sin does. And we're going to come back to this thought in a couple weeks when we talk about emotions and death. We're going to talk about being free in our emotions and being free to confront them for what they are. Emotions are healthy. Their warning signs, their sensitivity triggers, they can be healthy, but they also need to be controlled, they also need to be checked, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But this is where it starts, sin entered the world, and when sin entered the world, there was death, there was separation, there was negative emotions, and there were many other negative things that entered the world at the same time. I want you to remember the analogy from last week. About the growth, we talked about the end of service, and then it slowly grew, it slowly grew, and, and, and the side of the neck, pinching off a little bit at a time, the, the air pipe, and pinching off a little bit at a time, the, the arteries, until strength was fading, and it was just weakness, but then when it was removed, it was like the strength of a youth. And that's what sin does, it comes in so gradually, you don't even know it's there, and eventually, guess what, you just accept it. You don't fight it anymore. What must be this? And think about that. What must be this? Maybe it's the lungs. Maybe it's the blood. Maybe it's the heart. Maybe it's the pressure. They couldn't find any other reason. Must just have to accept it. And look at where we are as a society. Death and rage and anger. I mean, I could go on all morning about all the negative emotions there are. How did we get here? It wasn't all of a sudden. It came on so slowly that eventually somebody said, I guess this is just how it is. This is not how it has to be, though. It's not. We're not in a culture war. We're in a spiritual war. I want to touch on one more thing. I know I'm going to run out of time this week, and it's probably going to be in a two-week message. But it started with sin. It continued with the dissolving of the family. Do you know the first institution God created was not the church? The first institution God created in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, was the family. Praise God. That was the first creation of God. The first institution God created was the family. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one. Jesus even quoted it again in Matthew uh, chapter 18, chapter 19. Jesus quoted it again in Matthew chapter 19. When he was talking to them, because what had happened was, God established it in Genesis, but even in Matthew, there was a time where they said, well, you know, I'm just done with this woman, I want to put her away, and 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 they were divorcing, kind of like we are in our day, 55% of marriages end in divorce, are you serious? That's more than half, that's unacceptable, but here we are in a culture saying, well, that just happens, I have a son that's going to be getting married within a year, and people are saying, hey, you shouldn't buy a house because it might not last, how can you go into a marriage like that? You have to know ahead of time. It will work or it won't. When I make the vow, there is no it might not. Once I make the vow, I have made the vow. If you want to back out, you better back out before you get to the altar. If you want to back out, you've got plenty of time to back out before you get to an altar. But once you get to an altar, there's no backing out. sir. I know some of you may think I'm probably the best person to live with, but you should talk to my wife. And there are days when she says to herself, there's no backing out. There's no backing out. We have had ups and downs. We have had good times. We have had times where we were just so angry with each other. But divorce was never an option. It's not an option. It's not. But in our culture and in our society, we say, well, and look, I'm I'm not here judging you. Okay, you've had a divorce. But guess what? I've sinned. I've messed up. I've done stuff. Nobody's sitting here telling me, well, you're disqualified from ministry because you did this, 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 and this. I'm, I'm not saying if you've had a divorce or you've experienced a divorce. I'm not saying that you're less of a person or that you're not a good person. What I'm saying is if we accept it as just a normal thing and it's going to happen, then we start backing off. That's when that growth starts growing and choking the life out of us. The dissolving of the family. Satan seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy. And as the positions of the family dissolve over the past generation, especially past two generations, when fathers aren't there to protect their kids, they can be destroyed, and a generation can be affected so much faster. When moms, I'm sorry, when men aren't giving the examples of loving their wife, loving the mother of their children, diminishing the role of a father diminishing you, you got to understand when you're a father it's a high calling and in this day and age it's just something we do we enter into oh yeah you know i got a kid i got a baby mama i got this i got it. again i'm not judging you stuff happens we all have a past we've all done things but we can all move forward but here's the deterioration of the family society has accepted it it's just the way it is but it's a high calling to be a father because our sons will learn integrity from us, man. Our sons are gonna see how we behave, how we can we're not gonna be perfect. So when my son sees me fall, he's gotta see me get back up. That's right. When I do something stupid, I need to say, Hey, watch me recover. That's right. How do our sons know how to be faithful to just one woman? You know, something blew my mind, and this was about three years ago, maybe. I don't even know if it was, it was probably three, four years ago. We were at another church here in Frederick, and we were doing this basketball ministry. And it was was pretty cool. It wasn't my idea. I was just part of it. It was a great idea. It brought on all kinds of young men from the neighborhood, and we're talking to them. So one day, we got in there, and somebody wanted to talk to the topic of sex. And I was like, oh, great. We got kids from sixth grade to twelfth grade. How are we going to do this to keep a BG? And I said, "Um, here's the thing. And, 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 And so the first statement I made, I just got up and I said, look, a lot of you, we, they were talking about how to become men and being men. And I said, a lot of you have probably uh, been told, you know, in our society that when you've had this physical encounter, you become a man. And a couple of them are like, you know, what should I do? I'm not supposed to say yeah. And a couple of them are like low, on the down, low, high five each other. I'm like, wow, really? So I said, fellas, I'm going to tell you something this morning. I said, I've only ever had that relationship with one person in my entire life, and that's my wife. The adults whose faces dropped surprised me. They thought that was unheard of. And I said, wait a second. Because my dad has the same testimony I have. And he wasn't brought up in church. That was just a natural moral in his family. But as a society, we've come to accept, well, all teenagers, they're just going to have sex. If there's a father in the house who stands for (laughs) integrity who stands for holiness, who gives an example, hopefully that won't be the accepted thing in society. But we diminish the role. We diminish the role to our sons of how to care for a family, how to love a wife, and we diminish the role to our daughters of how they should expect to be treated. I thank God my oldest daughter has very high standards. She has no problem kicking a boy to the curb. She's done it more than once, and I'm proud of her. But the truth is, if I don't give her mother a genuine love, how can I ever expect someone to do the same for her one day? How can I ever expect her to anticipate that from her partner? And let's go on then. Not just men, but when the position of motherhood is devalued and called demeaning, kids are more vulnerable, and the family dissolves. You know, in our day and age, Women have been been told, you can have it all, you can have a career, you can have this. Motherhood is so demeaning. It's been looked down upon as a lesser role or something. But understand, it's it's a powerful role. It's, again, a high calling. God established order in the home for a reason. Not because any of us are better. It's just like the order in the church. Okay, I'm the pastor. I get up on Sunday and I preach. A lot of times maybe I have to make the final decision on something. But I'm not the CEO of the church. We are the church together. We serve together. I'm not your boss. I'm not the guy. Yes, there's there's a certain level of spiritual authority. Don't get me wrong. But that's what the world looks at when they see the family. God established a family much like the church with different roles to support one another. It doesn't mean that the man is the boss and his word is... we get into those things and we mess up what God's really saying. When God said to be the man of the house, he said to love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church. Amen. What did Christ do? He got on his knees and washed feet. What did he do? He went to the cross and died. What did he do? He surrendered every luxury and everything he could ever have to give it up for his bride the church. So that's what men should do. I'm only saying something. Over the course of generations, the enemy has attacked and mocked Everything God has instituted. Manhood, true feminism, family, church, sex, relationships. And we're going to talk about some of these things in the coming weeks in a message called The Moral Compass. But I want to move on from this this topic right here. The earlier kids are exposed to schemes of the enemy. Combined with the daily dose of that poison leads to an accelerated Degeneration of a society What is constantly seen and experienced Becomes normal in a child's mind If they see it all the time If they're exposed to it every day And everywhere they go And everywhere they look Then something inside them is going to say Well this is just normal And if someone is not stepping in and saying, yes, this is in the world, and it's wrong, and this is why it's wrong, and this is what we do, and this is truth, and this is, you know, unless there's some kind of correction and some kind of guidance, then the guidance that's being given is by the world, it's by Satan, and it's not good. You can't drive down a highway, you can't watch TV, you can't listen to music, you can't be on the computer without being bombarded by sex anger, death, evil, and maybe, maybe you and I as adults, we can, we can we can overcome that, we can say, wait, no, and turn away from it, but I'm asking you, can a child do that, can a child who sees us repeatedly perceive anything other than this is just normal life, this is what people do. And that's why we are bombarded. You see, it's not a cultural war. It's a spiritual war. When people get angry because there's all these different things being put on you know, kids' shows, on kids' programming, and taught in school, so on and so forth. This is not a cultural war. This is the work of the enemy. This is Satan trying to pollute another generation and make it so much easier to drive people away from God. To the point where they'll no longer be free to think because they're told they're free. If dad's role is destroyed, if mom's role is devalued, who's protecting the children? Who's teaching them that these things are wrong? That's how society degenerates so quickly. The word says, Jesus was talking here, he says, if you're going to enter into someone's house, first you must bind the strong man and spoil the house. What that means is if you're going to go into somebody's place and take their goods, the first thing you're going to do is find the man in the house. Find the the one that's defending it. Find the strong person, overcome them and bind them, and then the task will be easy. And that's what Satan's done. He's tried to bind the strong man, bind the church, bind leadership, bind authority. He's got the church so confused sometimes. So we don't even know what we're standing for. We need to get back to the unity of the Holy Spirit. You know what I think? I think it's time that the church got free. It's time that the church instead came after Satan and bound him and spoiled his house and began to set the captives of this nation free. That's what this whole series is about, being free to think. Setting people free so they can think on their own. Because it's the truth that sets you free. It's not an argument. It's not my opinion. It's not something I've studied or read or researched. It is the truth of God that will set you free. And so as the church, we need to be united. We need to come together in the power of the Holy Spirit against the work of the enemy and begin to free the society. Because you see a pattern here. We saw it in the evolution debate. We saw it in those that want to debate the word of God. There's people who will still say, well, yeah, I know all the evidence is there, but I still don't believe it's true. What are you talking about? That's like the analogy I gave you the first week we did this. And I asked you who have been to Arizona, so people raised their hand. Now, people who have been to Arizona, if I could use an intellectual, eloquent argument and convince you, That there's no such thing as Arizona. And you could buy into it. The people who had been there would be so frustrated thinking, why are these people buying this lie? I've been there. I've seen it. That's where the church is. When I look at what the world buys, when I look at what people would rather believe, I don't get frustrated with people. I get frustrated with how could they be that lost? That even when the truth is in front of you, like last week, if everything points to intelligent design, we can't accept it. Why? If something's pointing to something, I'm not allowed to consider that because then I have to consider God. And now you know it's a spiritual warfare. It's not cultural warfare. Cultural warfare isn't that the end game isn't whether there is or isn't a God. Cultural warfare is about culture prospering, about opinions being met. but spiritual warfare, that's spiritual forces entangling and fighting. The enemy has tried to harden and desensitize the society so aggressively that we lose our desire to love. The enemy has tried to harden and desensitize the society so aggressively that we lose our desire to love. And that's what I was just telling you about our young people. When they see all of these images. You know, I'm just watching what uh, my son, uh, Levi, our youngest one. You know, there's people who used to get on us and say we were overprotective and we were all this stuff because our kids weren't allowed to watch tv unless we were in a room with them and i'm talking about even when they're 12 or 13 and now they got used to it because they grew up that way they knew if we were watching something mom and dad were there too just to make sure if something happened on that screen we had to explain we were there to explain it because i was not going to allow my kids to be indoctrinated by some lie of the devil But at the same time, I wasn't going to hide them from the world. And then when they turn 18, say, hey, there you go. And they're like, oh, my gosh. Instead, they knew what they were running into. They knew what they were facing. They knew that there was a spiritual war going on around them. But the enemy, through all of these avenues, has been able to harden and desensitize the society so aggressively that we lose our desire to love. First Corinthians chapter 13, I'm not going to read it, but you know what it is. It's the chapter of love. And we're going to talk about that also before the series is over. The world has no idea what love is. It doesn't. And we're going to talk about this when we get, and this is actually the text for the moral compass message that we're going to be getting into in a couple weeks. But the world has no idea what love is. I think I told you a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now, actually, I had somebody uh, come to me on a social media post I had made and began to ask me, who was I that I thought I could define what love is and what love is? And I said, I don't understand the question. The post I made had nothing to do with that. Well, I heard that you're a minister. Oh, my bad. Okay. And You hate homosexuals, and you hate this. You know, stop, stop. I said, and the worst part is when you're trying to talk to somebody and you're typing back and forth, that's the worst part. And so I told him, I said, look, this isn't easy to have a conversation when we're typing back and forth. Can we speak face-to-face? I said, and even if we can't, first off, I don't hate anybody. I don't care what they've done or what they're doing. I don't hate anybody. I said, I think anybody who's ever met me can tell you there's not a person that I hate. Even the people that are mean and nasty to me, I love them. I try and make them happy. I told you before, my wife and I used to have competitions, and we lived in Baltimore. We lived in this one area. It was—I mean, have you ever been to Baltimore? People are just angry all the time. I mean, it, it, unless you've been there, you don't know it. But when somebody said it on Facebook, they're like, "I'm in Baltimore. It's just weird. People seem like they're angry all the time." I was like, "See, I lived there, and I knew I wasn't losing my mind." And we would have competitions. We would go to a local Walmart and see how many people we could make smile. It was—it was a score. We keep score. Like, I got one, I got one, and see who can make the most people smile by the time we left the store. That was our job. We were to lighten that community, and we thought, however we can set the light, we we're going to share the light. So we were going to make people smile in Walmart. We tried. Love overcomes a great deal of things, but the world does not understand love. The greatest destroyer of peace is a lack of love. And Satan will attack love at the very root, at the very core, at the very most innocent part of it. And I'm not going to get too much into the topic of abortion today, but I feel the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a war against the basic love instinct of a person to a child. The child, a a direct killing of an innocent child, murdered. Now, if, and Mother Teresa said this, if we can accept that a mother can kill her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? It's a valid question. I'm not Catholic and I don't support Catholicism, but what I'm telling you is it's a valid question from somebody. If we can accept a mother killing her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? As is with Satan, and I'm just, touch- just touching this briefly. As is with Satan, abortion started like everything else, it started on the premise of a lie. It's a fetus, it's a clump of forming tissue. Not resembling a human being. And it's simply the removal of this. Now, you know what fetus means? It's a Latin term that means offspring or baby. Kind of ironic, isn't it? It's not a baby, it's a Latin baby. How do you know? It's a fetus. You see, it works through deception, it works through that art. Satan is a deceiver. Now, the reason I'm not going to go into this is because there's so much stuff, and you've seen it on Facebook, you've seen it in other places, um, there's so much evidence of what abortion really is. Women are discouraged from seeing the ultrasounds. Again, deception, because if they see those arms, if they see those feet, it's not going to happen. Now, here's another deception. It's just about money. The church will say, oh, it's all about money. These people are all about money. no. It's not true. To man, it's all about money. But to Satan, it is an amazing way to desensitize and hurt people. You never hear too much about the future complications for the ladies, or depression, or guilt. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the plan of Satan. And this, just like divorce... It is what it is. If it has happened, it has happened. My wife and I counseled several people in Baltimore. We were marriage counseling a couple. When we first started, we first started counseling, it was really cool because when they first came, um, she had been in church a couple times, and he had no desire to go to church whatsoever. And we sat down with them and we did marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling. or getting married. They wanted to get married at the church. And so we sat down, and I said, Well, look, I need to talk with you guys. Let you go going on and, and, and hear from you. And we sat there, not planned like a 30 minute meeting. We were there for 95 minutes. Just. And so when we were all done, he looked at me and said, All right, when are we coming back? I'm like, I wanted to say, seriously? And I was like, Oh, uh, uh, ne- next week good? I'm trying not to let it show up, but I was actually shocked. I was like, Oh, next week good. He was like, Next week's great. Saturday? Saturday. Our house. We met at the church as a, when we crossed the street at our house. We, we lived next door sort to of church in Baltimore. And so they came and we counseled, them and my man got saved in marriage counseling. We prayed him through in marriage counseling. He got saved in marriage counseling, he gave his heart to Christ, started coming to church every Sunday. And then about two weeks before they got married, they came in, and we could tell something was off. Something was really off. Because neither one of them was herself. And we went through about a half hour, and the guy looks at me, and he says, you're going to hate us. I said, what are you talking about? You're going to be mad at us. I said, well, why am I going to be mad at you? And she starts crying. And I said, what happened? And he said, two weeks ago, we found out we were going to have a baby. I said, okay. And he said, we had an abortion. And he started crying. And then she said, if you don't want to marry us anymore, I understand. If you don't want us to come to church here, I said, why on earth would you think that? Why on earth would you think we don't want you here anymore? Because we know how you feel about that. I said, yeah, you also know how I feel about stealing and, and killing and, and any other kind of sin. Yes, it's devastating. It's awful, but it's done. My job now is to try and heal you through this process. My job is not to stand here and judge you or condemn you or tell you I can't believe you did this. My job now is to help you heal because the people who did this, the people who got you to this point, now you're a paying customer that's gone. But to me, you're a soul that's hurt. Amen. You see, just because somebody has, somebody asked me one time, are you against people who have abortions? No, I'm against the doctors that do it because they know better. They know what they're doing. Probably at least 75% of the time, the ladies involved have no real concept of what's happening because they're being told something else. But that's not the truth Satan wants you to see. And now, here's the thing. The world can see that. They can see the truth. So why won't people accept the truth about it? Why won't people say You have a heartbeat at six weeks. To check the death on someone... They check for a heartbeat, and if the heartbeat is gone, then they are dead. There are countless testimonies of things that have gone wrong, women who have lost their life, women who have become sterile, women who have been rushed to emergency rooms because of complications during the process. There are countless testimonies of depression, of suicide, of just not being able to recover. And there are countless testimonies of people who have worked through it, who have been there and who have come out of it because they've seen body parts and things like that. And I don't want to get too graphic, and I don't want to spend all morning talking about abortion, but here's the thing. We can look at it, and we can see what it is. We know what it is. Why would people accept what it is? Because I can't agree with my enemy. That's my enemy because Satan told me so. Now, they don't know what's Satan telling them. They don't know it's Satan pulling the strings. But we are not in a cultural war. We are in a spiritual war. And so we are not warring against people who have been divorced. We are not warring against people who have had abortions. We're not warring against people who are of this way or that way or whatever. We are warring against the evil force behind it that has enslaved them into thinking they are free. But one day, the ultimate price is going to be paid and there's no recovery from that. Why won't people accept the truth? Because I can't agree with my enemy. This is not a cultural war. It's not academic. It's not intellectual. Because if it was, then the evidence that people see would say, oh, I can see what it is. It's a spiritual war. When Satan deceives people into believing truth is an attack on their rights, they feel threatened They feel afraid, and they feel angry, and they want to fight. You don't have to go far to find anger in our society today. I want to wrap it up with this. The world around us today has been entrapped in the same lies of Satan. You can serve yourself. You can be like God. You can be in charge. Isn't that what he told Eve in the Garden of Eden? God doesn't want you to have this because if you have it, you're going to be like him. You're going to be powerful like he is. You're going to be one that calls the shots. Satan is still crafty, still deceiving, but still using the exact same lies he's always used. And now using a lie, telling people this is a culture war, a battle of opinions. They want to steal your right, when in actuality, it's a battle of truth. But people are blinded to the truth, much like what Jesus pointed out. When he talked to the Pharisees, you can't receive the truth because you've been blinded to it. So what is really happening around us, church? We must pray in the Spirit with authority to free this world around us. It's not an argument. All of this information, this entire series, this going to be a lot of information, but it is not for us to go argue with somebody that I'm right here. That's the worst thing we can do. The first thing is to build your faith so you can believe in the truth. Because here at this church, this is what we believe. We need to be emotional and intellectual. We need to have that connection with God. We need to have that connection with God where we've experienced God. But we also need to be intellectual. We need to know what we believe and we need to know why we believe it. Why are you a Christian? Because somebody told you or because you know it's the truth? Why are people evolutionists? Because they know it's the truth? No, because somebody told them. And we completely saw that last week. Why are people in support of abortion? Because they believe it's the right thing? No, because somebody told them that it was a right and a liberty. And if somebody stops you, they're encroaching on your liberty. You can't accept truth when you're under the influence of Satan. You can't. And I am not going to be able to argue somebody out of the influence of Satan. And you are not going to be able to argue somebody out. We can pray somebody out. We can pray that the Holy Spirit releases it. We can perhaps use evidences. We can perhaps use some of this information we get to open doors that somebody might consider God, but God has got to be rest. Which means we have got to pray. No slick craftiness. We've got to pray. You can't trick people into coming to church. I have been to too many churches. Whether there's advertisements come to come to this and it's going to be an assembly, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to be this, and it's going to be that, and everybody gets there and it's like surprise, we're a church. And I get that you want to reach this world and you want to do everything you can. The Bible tells us to be uh, wise as serpents and gentle as doves. I get that, but there comes a point when it doesn't rely on our slickness or our intelligence. It relies on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where we're at right now. And that's why when I talked to a lady this morning about somebody we both knew, most of you here, probably none of you here know this person we're talking about. So don't try and think about it. It's, It's irrelevant who the person is, per se. It's more relevant that this is an ideology in the church today. That when confronted with the idea that churches need to be united in the Holy Spirit, that we move together again, and they didn't believe that that could happen anymore. That's a scary state of affairs in the church that's not something you can argue. You can't argue somebody out of that mindset, but you can pray them out of that mindset. Because when God begins to move, when something begins to happen, nothing can change that. It's something i told young people countless times in altars. Once God has touched you, once you have experienced God, nothing will ever take that away from you. No argument. No philosophy. Nobody's going to convince you that God didn't do it. The church is time then we begin to pray in the Spirit, pray in authority. That the truth will set people free. Let's pray.